Okay, this should do. The film that everyone in cricket or everyone in cricket should be talking about is The Edge, which is due for release later this month. So on this episode of our podcast, I have with me the director, Barney Douglas, and we're going to talk about what the film includes, what the themes are, and how this relates not only to cricket, but to mental health in general, and in fact, the, the crossover between the two. So first of all, thanks very much for joining me, Barney. No problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, now, I've seen the trailer for the film on, uh, on Twitter, and immediately I was my interest was piqued because it was about this... Uh, this England team, which had given us so much pleasure, particularly away in, in Australia. And, and I think everyone, whether they were out there or they were watching at home, has really vivid memories of, particularly if you're in England, actually, being awake at silly o'clock, but seeing this quite remarkable um, set of, of, of circumstances where England seemed to go in from one gear to the next and, and not give the Australians a chance. So... I suppose, in some ways, it's obvious that, you, that a film would want to be made about that, but what particularly pushed you towards doing it? Well, I think, first of all, I think you touched on something there, that I think the tin did bring a lot of industry and a lot of pleasure, and the way it kind of fell away and ended quite quickly, um, quite bitterly, was that I, I felt that a lot of those incredible moments had been lost, really, and kind of been all sort of tarred with the same brush, as it were, so... My first thought was I'd like to actually celebrate that team and some of those achievements, um, but that alone is not a feature film. It's, it's sort of an entertaining piece, but it's not a film. So there had to be a stronger and more important journey to the team. Um, so that's why I started to then zero in on Trump and some of the mental health issues around some of the players. Um, and yeah, that's kind of brought about the film we have today. So, uh, but certainly it started from a very yeah, okay. Now, I think in terms of any kind of film, this this story, even though it happens to be uh, completely true, is one which has that really, uh, really captivating sequence from at the very beginning when England have these problems. I suppose they're in the depths when they've been bowled out for, uh, is it 51 or thereabouts by the West Indies? And in the film, you've got Bob Willis, who's never short of an opinion and, and does a great a great job of, of getting that across, describes England as being mentally weak. And then what we see is this extraordinary group and, and extraordinary individuals who manage to push themselves to their limits. Um, in the making of this, what was it that came across from the, the, the players and all the, all the people who participated that made that big difference from the despair of being skittled by the West Indies to the joy of lifting the ashes? I think they all wanted it. First and foremost, they all drove themselves. There was an inner drive to each of those players, but what they lacked before was a structure that got the best out of them, or belief uh, that got the best out of them. Um, and I think that's what Andrew Strauss and Andy Fowler brought to the side. They brought direction, belief, structure, and a kind of ethos to the team in a way that they were so it got the best out of players, even if they weren't necessarily the best players in the world, it got the best out of 
parts of the of the film take us back to um, the, the first Ashes Test of 2009 where the changes that Flower perhaps has, has brought in when he talks about the, um, the the players making some bad decisions and the fact that their practice routines weren't as he liked and perhaps the drinking culture had got in the way. The resilience that he demanded was shown by Panasar and, and Anderson in that first test. Along with along with with that example, are there others which uh, which jumped out in in the film which you'd you'd say are the best examples of their their mental strength and resilience? Well, I think first of all, trot on up the debut on the debut hundred for trot at the Oval, um, coming in free of baggage, free of um, demons, essentially free of. External pressure and just coming in and able to play his own way. I mean, nothing fundamentally really changes for him. But obviously, from a personal perspective, a lot changes. But it's still about the ball, and it's, it's being able to kind of be that focused, I think, and, and not let the external pressures touch you when you sort of walk out to the middle. So I think that was that's a really good example. I think the winning in Australia and all that that entails showed how strong that side was. Um, and how together they were and how tight they were, but also just getting through the kind of Germany boot camp and things like that. I think they're all, all part of building up this kind of resilient nature and this kind of uncrackable shield um, that the flower wanted to instill in this side. And I think that's partly why they dis began to disconnect from media and fans, is that they were very much kind of siege mentality after a while, I think kind of created this bubble for themselves and I think that it can be great internally but when things start to go awry it, it, it's quite disconnected from everyone else. Yeah, now it's quite easy to see from the outsider's perspective why you, you wouldn't want to be having the distractions of, of certain media coverage so without having a go at Bob Willis again, you know, hearing people say uh, quite direct criticisms of them, you can understand why a leadership group in, in, in a team would want to say that they they block that out and they just look inside. You, you had quite, um, a, a, I guess, privileged pers perspective in making this film because you'd already had some access to the, the team beforehand, which must have then allowed for that little bit more honesty and authenticity from the players. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was really lucky in that perspective. I've known them for close to a decade, so the majority of so, you know, they knew me, they trusted me, they felt more relaxed with me when we did the interviews and things like that. And they, they definitely brought up um, conversations and it went down routes that I didn't expect, which was which was brilliant. Um, and really, I'm really thankful for them for the way they kind of committed to that and, and were brave and honest. Um, and I think, yeah, I was just in a fortunate position that I knew them for, for such a long time. And that does make a difference. People know that you're not going to twist their words in a way that was completely the opposite of what they may have meant um, and you understand the tone of how they're speaking and things like that so it definitely worked in my favour I think um, and uh, like you touched on it's 
that kind of juggling thing with top-level sport, isn't it? And I think that's what we look at. And it, I'm not sure there is an answer. How do you protect yourself from criticism? Some of it fair, some of it not. Um, personal attacks now on social media and all that kind of thing. How do you protect yourself from that and be clear-headed enough to do your job in front of 40,000 people? You know, so it's kind of, it's, I'm not sure what the answer is. And there's all manner of different management techniques to get the best out of the player. Mm. of this particularly high-performing England team reminds me of something that I read in uh, Alex Ferguson's book, um, or one of his books anyhow, where he said for him to have got to the very top of his profession, he, he of course had to make sacrifices, but he made sacrifices that would be well beyond what most people would be expected to or even want to for their for their balance. Um, and this, this England team, especially with the... I suppose this applies to any any international team, but this team in particular, who really push themselves to their limits, and I think the comparison with football stands up to an extent, but cricket and international cricket, the touring aspect of it, I don't yeah. think people really ever understand that unless they get to, to speak a lot to people who've done that. How much did that impact this group? I think massively, and I think kind of funny about this group is that they were the last team really that pretty much give or take a few players played all formats of the game all year round um, so the intensity was greater than it is now um, which is you know, I think things we proved in that in that situation but basically yes they were on tour you know three quarters of the year and even when you're playing at home you're in hotel rooms in Durham or Manchester or what have you so your world is essentially travel and be in hotels and I think that's great when you're younger and you're freer and all those kind of things but when you start to you know have families or you know people's lives go on outside of yours basically so people get engaged and married and have kids and divorce and you're still in a hotel room in Bangladesh or India or Australia and it's, it's getting that balance of yes that's an amazing life to, to have but also at the same time it does affect you you know and, and I think we, we spoke before but health situation just creeps up slowly I think it's not something that just arrives at your door the next day I think it's something that is a process and um, I think the touring life is not conducive to a good state of mind no. particularly under that level of scrutiny um, that's the difference I mean I toured a lot with the team and it definitely got to me definitely and I wasn't under the kind of pressure that these guys are under yeah, yeah. Um, so you know it sort of doesn't take much of a leap to understand how things can take a turn for the worse. Yeah, and I, I remember uh, Tim Abraham came on the podcast uh, a while back, and he was saying, from his perspective of, of, of following England the world over, that just that disconnection between what your your normal life is and your routine with your friends and your family and the home comforts that is unusual so when when normal people in quotes go go away on on holiday that's a that's a break and you come back to normality and for 48 50 weeks of the year you're in that for for people who are involved with 
international cricket, it, it seems to be the default that you are away from home. So dealing with getting back must be must be difficult as well. Is there examples yeah. where these where the lads would find kind of reacclimatizing to, to just the, the mundane day to day stuff an issue? a little bit about how they managed to, to build up the um, the strength within the, the unit and the fact that they, they, they constructed this culture where nothing got into the dressing room and like you said there's, a, there's almost a siege mentality w within that. Um, we can touch a bit later on other techniques that, that the players and, the, and the, the staff use to be able to build that mental strength but I, I, as I was watching the, 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 the film, I was the one thing or two things struck me in particular. One was just how, how open the players were, which in a couple of cases was something that made you sort of take a, a, a deep intake of breath, thinking how, how open they were being. Within that, there was something, um, we can talk about Trot shortly, but in terms of how the players' welfare was looked after, Flower has later on, and within the film, said, "Yeah, okay, perhaps there's too much focus on winning, and and people needed to be the focus, and and like you've said, would that have an impact on on performance? But the person, perhaps this isn't surprising to people listening, the person who was the most cr critical of the of those aspects of the environment was Kevin Peterson, and he talks in the in the film about the fact he believed no one managed the players, and he's pretty disparaging of the way." players' welfare was, was looked after. He references Stephen Finn at one point in saying that no one cared really about how he was, they just wanted him to be in the net to hit in a particular length and, and so on. So is that a commonly held view within the group of players or does Kevin stand out in what he says? I think Kevin stands out personally. I think it was a very driven dressing room, definitely. And I think Kevin definitely had an axe to grind regards to the setup and, and how he felt he was treated um, and, and the outcome there. So I think I think certainly on, on reflection, definitely when you look back, I think Kevin definitely had good points about the life of a test cricketer playing for England and, and how that would affect other areas of your life. Um, I don't know, I probably don't subscribe to his view entirely in terms of that it was all you know, a management issue, I think as a team, as a collective, they were all responsible to a lot of people, and a lot of people had an internal drive to be the best that they could be, and 
I think that makes people quite insular. Um, you know, Stephen Finn, for example, speaks in the film very openly and honestly, and I think he's brilliant in the film. Um, you know, he doesn't blame other, other people for how he felt. You know, he says, like, I, I feel something I felt I needed to sort out myself, and, and that's how I approached it. And, you know, whether that's the right thing in hindsight is, is debatable, um, but that's definitely how he felt, I think. Um, I think Kevin definitely has good points, um, but I do think he comes from a, a quite extreme situation. Um, mm. So whether I agree entirely, I, I probably don't. Mm. But then, you know, I wasn't in the dressing room as much as everybody else, so it, it's hard for me to, to sort of be fair to anybody in that respect. All you can do is, is listen to their stories and how they tell it, and I think Kevin's the one who stands out as being highly critical. Everybody else sort of feels like, yeah, we didn't really, as a, as a an environment and as a unit, we didn't stop and go, actually, how are we going to address this? Mm. <laughs> I just kept yeah. plowing on, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. But so, there, there is the... It made me actually press the press the pause button when he was he was talking about this to sort of reflect myself and it raised a really whether yeah whether he's right wrong or, or, or has a bias or, or, or whatever it did raise a really interesting thought about how much within a, a team environment there is responsibility in individuals or whether there is a, a coach or a manager. Who, who's supposed to look after everything, or is there the autonomy for the players and perhaps the wider group to actually regulate certain things and keep an, an eye on each other? And I think what comes out a lot is when the players were doing really well, they had that very, very clear common goal and the commitment to what Flower and others wanted them to do to prepare... If we come to someone like Trot, who for me is the real star of the film, it, it then was the case that this guy's mental strength, as you mentioned earlier, the, the, the century on debut and, and pretty much most of his England career is defined by how he, he uses mind over matter, but then perhaps in a really cruel irony, it's his relentless pursuit of practice and excellence which, which helps... Um, well, we're not. Well, helps, I suppose, the, the the slide which then occurs in his mental health. So, what was it like having that time with Jonathan and going through the very personal experience that he'd had? Well, I think I think Trotty actually kind of represents the team as a whole. I think mind over matter is such a good expression in this because he just got the best out of himself. Talented player, no doubt about it, but drove himself to be the best. Which I think reflected the team. Um, focused in similar to a degree also reflected the team, the majority of the team. Um, and wanted to sort things out himself and take things upon his own shoulders. Um, and having that time with him, open, quite raw, honest conversations were definitely like emotional days. Um, and I think the sort of bravery and honesty that Trotty kind of brought to the film really brings the magic to it, really. And that, and that was from quite early on, it was definitely the story that I zeroed in on as being the most human and kind of the story that would transcend the sport, basically, because you know, cricket's kind of, will have a limited audience as, a film, as film watchers will go, but in terms of what Trot represents, I think that definitely transcends the game, and to see a man who was at the top of his profession. 
clear focused and clear eyed and mentally strong and you know would face up to the quickest bowlers in the world and win test matches for England, the MCG and all sorts of stuff like that to where he ended up I think represents the journey of the team better mm. than, than anything else and, and also it's, it's you know, heartbreaking in so many ways um, but also heroic because he still walks out there at the end in 2013 when you start to understand where his head was at and what he was feeling internally. He still walks out there into the middle and I think that kind of is a testament to the man that despite all that turmoil, turmoil he still wanted to, to sort of represent England and, 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 and be there for his teammates. And I think, you know, that's not weakness to me. No, <laughs> you know? no, of course not. No. It, it, it gives a really good insight to how much it means to these players and it's something which sport has perhaps unlike anything else that not only is it the job and it's well paid and it's something that puts you in the limelight but all these people in the international game have the same or, or, or to a large extent have the same love of the, of the game and the teamwork and the spirit in that They'll work with these people in one sense, but they'll also be playing with them in another way. So we see that with, with Trot. We see how people like Swan and, and Anderson are so such good friends from, from meeting in cricket, but then the friendships persist. The light is also shed on, on other players within this. And one story and one account that, that really... Um, hit home to me as well was the, the aspects of how players could find themselves f with all the right intentions for it to be a really strong team uh, and a really big um, cohesive unit, players did find themselves isolated, not necessarily because anyone intended to do that, but simply their way perhaps of dealing with the pressure was that they, they wished to be alone and to, and to try and, and reflect on things. and. And that can, can have benefits, it can also have drawbacks. And the, the person that was particularly interested in that was, was Monty Panasar, particularly when he talked about how he used food to help deal with the lows. Not something that I was expecting him to say. No, no. That jumped out, obviously, during the interview with me as well. It was not something I expected and or had known beforehand. Um, and it's, it's like, actually, I think it's one of the strongest lines manner of delivery and the, and the way he says it really sort of strikes to the heart of you actually. Um, I think it's a, it's a really good point because let's not forget that they're there to win. They're, they're playing for England and they're there to win and they're quite high stakes both you know as players professionally in their career but also family, friends, people who sacrifice for them to be there, you know all these kind of things. The stakes are quite high for these guys and like um, as Monty prime example really of somebody who I feel like probably character wise didn't necessarily fit easily into this kind of winning machine mentality um, and certainly the way he'd been sort of both in the crowd and in the media there's this kind of this humorous element to Monty and you always kind of feel like oh well, he, you know, that's funny to kind of cult hero he'd happily go along with that but you know actually he'd make a mistake and like you yeah, he feels like he was just a kind of joke, basically, figure. And it, and it really stops you in your tracks and thinking, well, actually, I contributed to that. You know, I used to kind of laugh with Monty if he dropped a catch or this or that or the other. But it's the guy who's trying to be 
representing England and you know you carry that with you after the end of the game or the end of the day's play you feel like you've let people down and you're in a winning machine where there isn't room for that mm. <laughs> you know? mm. that is isolating definitely what, what, the, what the film does really well for me is toe the line between like what we said a little bit earlier there's extraordinary pressures on them we're not expecting the, the, the man or woman on the street to necessarily sympathise with that or, or feel sorry for them. But there is that bit which you, you manage to do, which is to tilt it slightly away from having no sympathy and being very harsh on them and, and to portray these people as human beings who happen to who find themselves in extraordinary circumstances. And Stephen Finn, if we come back to him, talked about how media portrays um, he, he found a struggle to be to, to deal with. Where do you think the balance lies between that accountability for the players, because they are at peace in the country, they are in a, a, a privileged position in that sense, but also that they're human beings and they need some support and at times to perhaps be treated, treated a little bit more kindly? Well, I think that the problem is, I think the genie is out of the bottle with that. I think this team, this team was kind of on as social media and Twitter started to become the big thing, this team was kind of at its peak, and then the social media took over. It was when the team, ironically, started to decline a little bit, um, and so they kind of bridged the two worlds of a world before and a world <laughs> a world after. For me, the genie's out of the bottle. I don't really see a way that um, you can separate it anymore. I feel like that is the biggest question that comes out of the film is like actually how do you yeah fairly judge these players at the top level whilst also not just completely savaging them <laughs> you know <laughs> how do you how do you respect them as human beings who are actually brilliant at what they do without it becoming personal or without the critique becoming just relentless um, but there's 24 hour critics now aren't there there's 24 hour critics that there's Everybody's a journalist, everyone has an opinion, everybody can write whatever they like. Um, and I think the only way really is actually to go back and live away from players and things like that and become potentially more insular, mm -hmm. away from social media, but then you go back to the problem of the kind of siege mentality type thing. So I think there's just a responsibility generally on the game to protect the players. Um, certainly I think there's a responsibility on the sports writers to protect the game and the players whilst not losing their um, objectivity. Um, and then I think the rest of it is kind of beyond your control in sort of almost an individual way of, of, of dealing with the other noise really and, and blocking it out or not. Um, but I do think there's a responsibility on the game and, and the writers to, to look after you know, what they've got. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I'm not saying that's like pressure from editors, mm. you know, all this kind of stuff. So it, it's a snowball effect, isn't it? Um, so in short, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> There's no easy answer. No, it's, it's, and it can change by situation, of course, can't it? There'll be times where it does just feel appropriate for for fans or whoever else to, to say they perceive the effort wasn't good enough or yeah. there was just so some problems that were seemingly so obvious and at other times you you might lean more towards saying well actually it just seems like they, they tried but they weren't they weren't good enough and, and yeah. in that it's not 
necessarily your fault what what what, what you have there. I think for me it's just more like the film tries to do is just present a slightly different angle, like you say, kind of present these guys as human beings, so that you know when you see Trotpy Phoenix in Brisbane, you've got you. What I try to do as a filmmaker is put you in a position where you had some idea and you felt some of the turmoil that he might have felt beforehand, and then you walk out of that. Rather, a lot of focus is on what happened afterwards. To me, that wasn't the interesting bit as much as where he was at beforehand, because I think that's the, that's the if you can give people some way of empathising with him at that stage, then you understand about going out of that in those conditions. Just not at all, you know, shouldn't be there essentially. Yeah. Um, so that's what I try to do as a filmmaker, and I think what it really comes down to is like, yeah, individuals will need to find a way to cope basically mm. with those pressures and. and Yeah, yeah, and, and I think across it, I, I watched it with a pen and paper in hand, trying to note down absolutely anything I could find that these players would give as an insight to how they build, build resilience and, and mental strength and their ability to 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 cope. I suppose, and there's lots of nuggets in there which I'm not going to spoil for people, but I think the the bit as we come towards the end, that the key thing that runs all the way through, and we mentioned consistently in this conversation, is what they did as a team and how the group operated. And for a player who plays uh, recreationally, it'd be nigh and impossible to replicate that environment because you're not compelled to have to do what your coach or your captain says. But some elements of it certainly could be looked at just the same as winning at all costs, particularly the further down um, cricket we go. We could use this film as a really good prompt to say, well, in actual fact, it is more important that my friends and teammates are, are well and happy rather than winning a game of cricket for 20 points on a on a Saturday. But as we finish, um, this might be a difficult question to, to answer. And we, um, in fact, the, the simple one could be that it's everyone. But who would you say the film is for? Well, I mean, first and foremost, it'd be foolish not to say it's for cricket fans. Um, definitely, I feel like there's been a, a lack of, you know, cricket used in cinema. And if you get the chance to watch this, on a big screen with all the sound and everything, I think it's it's twice the film on that kind of scale. Um, you know, so I would definitely encourage that. So it's definitely for cricket and sports fans. But I think beyond that, I think it's for people who you know, want to understand or perhaps be part of themselves. You know, a group, a collective, something that they love dearly, and perhaps it's kind of fallen away a little, or they had their own struggles with with mental health, or they're fascinated with kind of mental processes of, of players at the top of their game. Um, you know, and I do feel like that it has got a reach beyond just the cricket fan. You know, obviously it's slanted towards that, but I do feel there's a lot more. It's really about people. You know, that's, that's what it comes down to. It's about people who were in this group together and that group fractured over time. And I think, you know, a lot of people understand that um, and understand the pressures of that. And particularly, I think at this stage of my life as well, kind of mid-30s, similar to some of the players, you start to reflect, you start to look back and actually you want to step into your next phase of life and be, I guess, an improved person as mm -hmm. possible, you know, and, and sort of look at ways that you might have done things differently in your younger days. And I kind of feel like there's an element of that to the film. There's a melancholy to the film about these people are stepping, they're, start, they're leaving it behind 
line now, you know, stepping yeah. forward. And I think that's that's definitely something that you're left with at the end of the day. Mm. Well, for me, um, the film's a, a triumph. I think it's something that every cricket fan should see. And and like you've said as well, Barney, anyone who's got an interest in, in without being too transparent, anyone who's got an interest in humanity and how people deal with sets of pressures and, and circumstances, it, it, you don't need to know about Test Match Cricket particularly to, to watch it. It can be something that can be enjoyed um, regardless of that. So when is it out? When can people get to see this? Well, I think it's out selected cinemas on the 19th of July, and then from the 22nd of July, a bit more widespread across all, you know, like digital platforms. Yeah. Amazon, iTunes, all that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I would highly recommend, if you can, catching it in the cinema, because I think it, that's the way it was conceived. It was conceived to be on the big screen with all the sound. Um, and it's, yeah, a much more intense experience, I think, in that, in that environment. So if you can get it in the cinemas, it's out. Excellent. Right, thanks very much for joining me. That's been a really great insight to it. And as we finish, people are definitely going to go and see this film. Thanks, Barney. Thanks so much.